listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. All right. Welcome to episode 56 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Why are we doing that? He's we don't time. Time. in case I split it into three episodes rather than one. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, I, normally, I would, okay. Normally, I would do this on my own, but I just decided to do it here because I thought of it, <laughs> which I normally don't. I hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast. We can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host Asan Godwin and Latham Conger the Third. Well. Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. No guests tonight, and we're going to simply enjoy each other's companies as best we can and discuss our own personal happy holiday Hell. films. Oh, okay. <laughs> now go for about three minutes. Go for about three minutes. Wow, humbug. When we, uh, when we decided to do a Christmas show, uh, we went back and forth on, on what exactly we were going to uh talk about uh and we we settled on uh on picking each of us picking a a holiday film that we enjoy let's say maybe not uh love but at least enjoy and uh so we we did three movies we're doing each going to pick our own movie and and dissect it that way but first as always we will suffer from consumption uh deirdre's been off this whole week uh so uh each night after watching my my Christmas pick or our Christmas picks have been adding on an extra movie. So I actually have uh, quite a few movies this week that I've seen. Um, I finished Hannibal, uh, which Latham still has not seen. So we won't die. We won't dive in too deeply into that, but uh, I know Hassan was curious about my thoughts about the overall uh, feel of the show. And I got to say, uh, I enjoyed it immensely overall. Uh, it's cool because in that third season, the last five episodes are essentially a five-hour version of Manhunter. So that's pretty cool. With a great a great choice is Francis Dollarhide, who shows up totally unexpected uh, as, uh, as, you know, the actor who, who plays Dollarhide is, is uh, especially since the main other thing I've seen him in, uh, he was uncharacteristically short so <laughs> just the, the, main, the main other thing i know him from <laughs> but Fair uh, their examination <laughs> on the show obviously given a lot more time their examination and and sort of depiction of that character in the show uh is really cool uh the way they go into him you know and they're you know they allow much more than they did with tom noonan in, in the 86 film 
which which we rewatched this week because Deirdre had never seen it. And uh, I wanted her to get a sense of what had come before before, uh, you know, the the movie that we've been championing for decades. And uh, so she could get a sense of that before we went jumped into this new TV version of the same story. (laughs) But it was it was also a nice a nice kind of return also to the narrative storytelling style of the first two seasons, as opposed to that first, whatever, six or eight episodes that were just a strange kind of jump. Uh, after yeah. The, you know, that it's a, it's, it's, it's a bit of a jolt. The, 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 the first half of the third season, it's like kind of throws you into a mixer and then it slowly yeah. winds down. And as it winds down, it settles back into its normal, normal kind of narrative to storytelling style. And I think that's what killed it, you know, because it was, cause that, that, that was the season without any um, spoilers. That was the season it got canceled on. And I think, you know, it had a really strong cliffhanger at the end of season two. And then to, I mean, once you're binging it, it's a completely different, uh, experience but to to watch it week after week waiting for them to get back to that cliffhanger and them just refusing to to do so along with the kind of slow burn narrative uh, that that they were on yeah right so it wasn't even like what it with whatever they picked up with was was you know was a roller coaster was moving really quickly so it just really if for some reason it was like a really solid really um really intense narrative for the first and second season. The first season gets you hook hooked. The second season keeps you, you know, keeps you engaged. Then they have this really strong cliffhanger and you're like, all right, man, this whole thing is a, is a monster. Let's, let's go. And then season three picks up and it's the, the tone is completely different. The, the atmosphere is completely different. They, they're miles away from the, um, from the res, uh, resolution of the cliffhanger. And it's kind of like it's just stylistically taking its time with you. Yeah. And and over the course of like maybe four weeks, you're, you know, dangling on a hook. And I just it just seems like a really strange tonal shift that they wanted to, you know, that they went into. Because like you said, the back end of that season is really strong, you know. Now, I think if they had if they had let in as strong as the season ended. I think they would be on season six or seven by now, you know, it's very possible, especially if they were going to start, um, if they were going to genuinely start translating Thomas Harris's books, you know, into, into uh, source material. Well, then that's the problem really, because they didn't have access uh, past red dragon anyway. So it's kind of like where, you know, where are you going to go beyond red dragon in a logical, I mean, listen, they did an amazing job doing two seasons of story about Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter that don't even, that never existed before. Yeah. You know, yeah. leading, leading into the story that we know as Red Dragon or Manhunter. Uh, and, and I have to, and I have to say this, did they, now, now, did they know, I'd be curious to find out if they knew the series was going to be canceled at the end when they were filming the finale. Yeah, I don't know. I would have to look that up. Um, I'm sure there's information on it, though. Because I have to say, it's one of the smarter finales. Uh, You know, we had a discussion about series finales. It's a really smart finale because 
it's 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 very final <laughs> as as it should be. Uh, but your belief in those two characters and your understanding of those two characters also leave the option open to to a complete acceptance of the fact that they would have survived that incident had there been a fourth season or have if there is a fourth season that ever comes you'll be yeah, like you can... you'll be like oh okay you know and I, I think that was just a super smart way to go about it so I, I was I was very pleased with it um, as I mentioned I started watching a, a British TV show called the island which is uh, Bear Grylls hosts and he takes a bunch of modern British residents and puts them on an island and it's a group of people with no survival skills and he just basically puts them on as a group and lets and leaves them alone for a month and lets the group dynamic just sort of play out they film everything themselves he only goes back at the end or if there's he has an emergency team come in for injuries or medical things or you know somebody gets you know bitten by a scorpion whatever (laughs) but these are these are just people who get dropped into a place. They don't ever see the footage until the whole thing's over with, you know, or unless or unless they're uploading or giving it to, you know, as the medical teams come in for different things, they give them what they have. They replace batteries, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, but it's really, it was really interesting to watch. Um, you know, it's a social dynamic is really what it comes down to. It's a social play. It's a, you know, a group of, of disparate people. And, you know, the first season was all men, a group of like 14 men. The second season, they put eight men and eight women and they put them on opposite sides of the same island and just sort of let them let them just gradually work their way into finding each other and then, you know, becoming a single group. Then the next one was a mixed group. And then the next one was a group of 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 people older than 30 and then a group of people between the ages of 18 and 30. So it was a young group and an old group and they put them on. There were two islands that were broken up by a a small channel that ran between them. And they eventually again combined, but again, the dynamic between young and old and the sort of thought processes behind how to survive and, you know, what their capabilities are was always, was very fun to just kind of watch. And the the seasons are short. They're like six or seven episodes for the most part. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. What's a, what streaming service is that on? Uh, the first two seasons you can see on, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The third season was the one with the men and the women that mix. The second season, uh, was actually twice as long and he did an island of women and an island of men and they didn't mix. That's what that's, I'm sorry. That was, uh, I left that out. But, uh, so the first two seasons you can watch on Amazon and then seasons three and four are on Tubi. Which is free with oh. ad, which is free with ads. So, but uh, okay, interesting show. You know, that's what I just had on in the background. And uh, interesting, <clears throat> I, I got down a bit of a Timothy Oliphant rabbit hole yesterday, <laughs> which is easy to do because yeah, those are easy. <laughs> he's just fucking super charismatic and fun to watch. You know, on talk shows and shit like that. And I found out something, Hassan, which you will find immensely amusing. Uh, Latham, you might, you'll find it as amusing as well because you know the two properties, even if you haven't watched Justified, and it won't ruin anything for you. Um, okay. 
apparently Graham Yost was having a conversation with uh, another producer on Justified as they were wrapping up the TV show. And he had a discussion with him about making the ending of Justified the last bit after we had, and I don't know if that included the, 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 the last, the last, the final ending of the TV show that Sean and I know. I don't know if they would replace that or go even after that. But the idea was that the last scene would be a super close up of Timothy Oliphant waking up in his bed and he would sit up only he was his character from Deadwood and he had had a dream about being a U.S. Marshal in the future. No. Oh, man. You know, a la Newhart. That would have screwed everybody up. <laughs> that would have messed so many people up. Imagine had you never seen Deadwood. Yes. And you've been, you've been, a, you've been a serious fan of Justified all these years. For six and seasons. Like, and you're what? like, wait, what? <laughs> He's in the old West? What the hell is it? <laughs> yeah. Like, but that oh, would have I mean for Deadwood fans that would have that would have that would have put us over the moon. I really would have It would have been funnier to see that in the Deadwood movie. Yes. Yeah. You know, have they, him wake and they could have done that. And have him wake up and be Raylan. Yes. <laughs> but that would have um, been great. That's a, such a uh, the Deadwood movie is so bittersweet because it's really well done. I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Um <laughs> It's just, it's really I'm I'm not talking about the movie itself, the events in the movie itself, but the fact that uh, David Milch, who I'm a, I'm a gigantic fan of, I think he's got Parkinson's. I think he's got like, oh really? It's, it's really know. yeah, it's really bad. It's really it's really be uh, it's progressed. Yeah. So there's a you know there's a bunch of interviews and um, extra extra materials, extra footage and stuff like that for the seasons, three seasons of Deadwood, which were almost twenty years ago now. Yeah. Because we're wow. talking 2003, 2002, yeah. 2003. I was, looking at, I was looking at a DVD box that I have of Rome the other day because I was moving stuff around my yeah. office. And I looked at the dates and I'm like, how can this be this long ago? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they just they basically ushered in the 2000s, you know, yeah. the, you know, and um, they they both had their own like they were they both super celebrated. But yet found, you know, they, they got caught in logistical hell. And legal held, and then you know ended up getting prematurely canceled. Um, but they both paved the way for uh, Game of Thrones, which lasted yeah. eight years. You know, right? He he he. All the subsequent material that comes with uh, Deadwood is always stuff about David Milch and his uh, creative process, and him walking through the sets and talking, you know, and just basically discussing the you know the the inner the intricacies of all those characters which he knew inside out and um the fact that he basically traditionally wrote maybe 30 percent of that show but he but everything else was like um was pretty much like uh 60 or 70 percent improv improvised like on the spot like he was like okay oh. we're gonna do this now because you know these people aren't available for this so the, we're gonna do this particular scene and somehow they really wove together tightly to be um to be a strong narrative and then if you watch the subsequent materials and the deadwood movie and they're walking david milch through the sets that they rebuilt for the for the sake of the movie and he's just barely there, you know, like he's he's oh, smiling. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's 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 you know, he's coherent. He understands what's going on, but he's he's mostly an observer. 
Now he did write that movie, um, but it took him so long to write it, and you know, there's oh man, so many so many things happened to him between the end of the show and the movie that he just wasn't quite the same. But it, the movie's great. The movie is him through and Good. through. But he wasn't him just receiving it and understanding it. It wasn't quite the same. So basically, you get the impression that that movie is a swan song for both Deadwood and also perhaps for David Milch for this right. powerhouse of a writer. And it is it is wonderful to see that he got to finish his story and that he finally got to to, to close things out the way he chose to. But it is really you know bittersweet to see. I mean, you would have to be a follower of his to see how how somewhat diminished he he was in yeah. those. Uh, so it's. Um, I suggest you if you, especially if you've seen Deadwood. I mean, the the movie is in such a way that you don't really have to have seen the show. Yeah, but I'm gonna watch the three seasons of the show. You got before it, man. Yeah. You first of all, uh... you got you got to do the three seasons of Deadwood just for the sake of the fact that they exist. You know, Latham, do you have something to the contrary? Uh. Uh, no, I, I have all the DVD sets, and I don't, I, I can't bring myself to watch them yet. So, uh, I think I will fairly soon. Oh, I thought you were. Yeah, it was just so that was just a yawn. Oh yeah, no, I wanted to watch the show for a while. <laughs> okay, it, it, uh, it's high high on my to watch list, right by the, like the wire. Have you the st- wire? I'm almost done with. So, oh, have you seen? I haven't seen any of the wire, and I've always heard, obviously, for. You know, great things about it. Uh, but obviously, I also heard that Wire went steadily downhill. Like, uh, on a, it hasn't I, yet for me. But okay. I'm what season? Into- what season? Theoretically, I I think it's pretty solid all the way through. Okay. Right. Theor- theoretically, the fifth season is quote unquote the worst season. Well, but it's bad in the sense that oh man, this this might. That a bug's Analogy. life is bad. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I don't even know that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> it's bad in the sense that you you think um, that people people genuinely think the third Godfather movie is really bad. But Wait. if you but if you basically understand the story, if you're if you're mm-hmm. into the characters, it's a good closeout for it. It's just not as ostentatious as the other two right. installments. So that's kind of you know. The the also the thing about uh, the wire is it takes a different perspective per season, you know. Right. Even though the yeah. characters are basically the same, so the the fifth season I think is the the uh, the newspapers perspective, right? And people people say <laughs> that that perspective isn't quote unquote as fleshed out as the other perspectives. So it's not a really a matter of whether the quality is good or bad. It's the it's a matter of what the experts say, uh, the their take on the perspective of from a from a newspaper from a newsman's perspective is correct like if you as someone did a did a tv show and they did a tv show as a uh, of a fireman you know from the perspective of a fireman from the perspective of a a train conductor and from the perspective of uh, an independent publisher and then you watch and you go wow those other two seasons were good but these guys don't know shit about about you know independent publishing and so you would consider that season to be bad, even though it might right. be of the same quality of the other two, you know. But the five, it's not the same story told from five different perspectives, right? It's five different stories. 
overall. No, it's the same. It's the same story. It's the same characters. It just focuses on different. No, but I mean the actual core story of each season is still different. Oh yeah, it's oh, not. Okay. It's, it, it's not like not a Rashomon there's one thing. One story, and there's five different views of it. You get over five seasons. It's not like the same period of time. No, it's, it's the, not like it's the same. The, it's like one big event happens, and then you look at it from five different. No, directions. no, no. It's, okay, it right, is. Right. It is an ongoing narrative. Okay, it's just, okay. It's just focuses on the different. main. Yeah, the main characters are fo- are in different prof- uh, professions. Gotcha. And gotcha. sometimes. Sometimes uh, the characters jump professions. Like there's one where there's a there's a character who's a cop who becomes a teacher, you know. So oh, right. and then it you know jumps to the education, you know, uh, perspective on the situation. Right. Um, I like it a lot. I had mixed feelings about it when it first dropped, and then over the years, I'm like, no, this is genius. It's kind of the same way I looked at, even though it's not the same caliber or genre. I looked at Babylon Five. I think the first time. I watched Babylon Five. I was like, "This is crap." And then, you know, <laughs> years uh-huh. later, I'm like, "I am. I was absolutely wrong about this. This is, you know, this is oh. tremendous." You know, so, um, so yeah, Deadwood, The Wire, um, Rome, which you've already seen. I mean, those are those are powerhouses. Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. they're on the same caliber as the the Sopranos. But since the Sopranos oh, yeah. was so critically acclaimed. <clears throat> It you know these other things are like found treasures you know yeah Sopranos um, really became the bar I mean I mean when when once it came out and existed it really became the bar for everything else you know and yeah. it, and I think that a lot of shows suffered from the fact that it was the bar because everyone said well if you're not as good as the Sopranos then you're not yeah, as what's good the point? Then, then what's the point of spending my time on you you know and I do think the Sopranos did have a a, a tremendous quality drop. And in the later seasons, like yeah. as it as it went, uh, maybe went on a little too long. Even though I don't have any issues with that ending. How many seasons is that? Seven. I think is it, six. Is it six? I think six. Oh. it might. It might. Even... Yeah. It's six. The six is divided in. Yeah, it's it's six. Yeah, it's okay. it, it's technically seven, but they call the two divisions of yeah. uh, six yeah. the or one, one season. Two. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> Which they say they did the same thing with uh, Breaking Bad. I don't know They've why they've been doing do that, that with Walking Dead from the beginning. They've been splitting yeah. the the seasons into two halves and putting like you know a fall season and a spring season kind of thing. It's just it's just stupid. But <laughs> we digress. Um, so the other films that I watched, uh, uh, obviously besides our our three Christmas choices, I watched uh, Manhunter again, which uh, still. Again, I haven't seen it. Pro- I hadn't seen it again in probably four or five years. The original uh, one with William Peterson. Yes, you're talking yeah. about okay. and Brian Cox as as Lecter. Yeah, just so completely enjoyable. I mean, yeah, it's it's a and I was and I was I was sort of like preparing her for it. I'm like, listen, it's super 80s. It's gonna feel it's gonna feel a lot like Miami Vice, mm-hmm. just a lot more serious, and it's just. You know, and then it, but it, it surprisingly, even though it is so, so 80s, it holds up perfectly, you know, and even yeah. in, even in the reflective shadow of something like Hannibal, um, it still holds its own as this sort of anomalous Hannibal Lecter story or version of the Hannibal Lecter universe. I just, I, I, I love that movie. I'm always going to. There's just, it's just, it's really well done. Well, it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a good story, so it's always going to work, no matter what the the timeline. Uh, is. Somebody could find a way to fuck it up, I'm sure. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about the uh, the adaptation. I'm talking about that movie. You yeah. know, it, it, no matter how dated it is, 
it's still going to resonate as a good movie, you yeah. know. We watched a uh, a horrible uh, <laughs> uh, horror movie from 1980 called Death Ship because, of course, I got sucked in because of my things with ghosts and boats. And watched a even more horrible brand new horror movie called Die Influencers Die, which was <laughs> clearly clearly put together by two guys and a portable uh, you know they could have shot another iphone for all i care it's so terrible (laughs) it has some decent practical effects in it but other than that it's just it was just fucking awful um but on the on the on the other side it did uh have someone in it that i actually know personally so that was that was weird that was weird um (laughs) uh watched a really great norwegian christmas movie uh There's there's a sentence you don't hear often well, well, <laughs> I, I well, it was it was called Christmas Blood, so it was a, it was a oh. horror movie, obviously, but uh, about a, a Santa that was a serial killer. Uh, um, but really well done, really well handled. Uh, lots of lots of good kills in it. Um, lots of good kills. Lots of good, that's the only way you can measure those films is how many you know what and how many good kills. Uh, we rewatched uh, Krampus last night, the uh, the 2015 one from Mike Doherty, the guy who did Trick or Treat. Yeah, um, I actually own that and have not watched it. I've never watched it. It's uh, I I would I would put it in my top five Christmas movies uh, as far as far as you know Christmas movies being measured by delivering what I think to be a message about the spirit of Christmas. You know, I think that's, I think that's my, that's why I think that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. And I will maintain that point forever uh, that, you know, it takes place. It's the same thing as lethal weapon. Lethal weapon is not a fucking Christmas movie. I don't care how many ways you slice it. Just because you take place during Christmas does not make it a Christmas movie. It's so fucking stupid anyway. And then we watched a, a old early uh, Italian horror film by Mario Bava uh, called Whip and the Whip in the Body, uh, which is on Shutter just just dropped. I shouldn't say just probably a month ago, a month or two, just dropped a huge uh, chunk of Giallo classics uh, in the horror genre from uh, director Mario Bava. There's probably eight or ten on there. And there's a bunch of great stuff that's there to watch now. So I'm going to, I'm going to start, start burning through some of those, but whipping the body I had actually seen years ago. And uh, I just wanted a little refresher, a little taste of the old days and, uh, and Deirdre had not seen it. So, but that was fun. Um, Christopher, very, very young Christopher Lee has the lead in it. So uh, that's also fun because he looks smooth faced and, Looking spook, looking spooky, looking spooky and non Dracula esque. <laughs> so, uh, so <clears throat> yeah. So my choice for holiday film uh, is Scrooged. Seven o'clock. Psycho sees Santa's workshop, and only Lee Majors can stop them. In the night, the reindeer die. Be here. You can't show that commercial. That thing looked like a, the Manson family Christmas special. Think I'm way off base. Frank Cross is more than the youngest network president in television history. Call security. Have them change his locks. Keep tossing out of the building. Oh, he's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call the county. Stop his bonus. I can't get the antlers glued onto this little guy. We've tried crazy glue. Have you tried staples? Woo-wee! 
That was a good one. You are going to be visited by three ghosts tomorrow at noon. God, tomorrow's bad for me, Lou. Go back to Jersey, you moron! I'm the ghost of Christmas present. Bill Murray, Karen Allen. The ghost? John Forsythe. <laughs> Bobcat Goldthwaite. Carol Kay. Robert Mitchum. I really care! David Johansson. Oh, I'm having the weirdest day! See Bill Murray get Scrooged. Hey, back off, big man. That may work with the checks, but not with me. directed by Richard Donner with a running time of 101 minutes. A highly motivated and cynical television executive learns the true meaning of Christmas in this updated reimagination of the classic Dickens holiday tale. Now, Hassan, would you like to say it? Steve, why Scrooged? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I am a, I am a tremendous fan of Dickens novella, A Christmas Carol. I, I love the structure. I love the idea. I love the fact that it involves ghosts. Uh, there is nothing about the story. Huh? What does that have to do with this movie? No, all right. <laughs> As I've already said, it's a reimagination of the original novella. So, suck it. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed this. <laughs> Summary. <laughs> you know, it helps during the show, Lay, if you actually pay attention to what we say. Not just, uh, oh, no, I get Not I just get show up. I was just being a dick. <laughs> thank you um yeah i from from the first from the first time that i've seen i've seen i've seen this movie uh at least 25 or 30 times all the way through i you know and, and if i if i walk downstairs at this time of year and it's on i will watch it the remainder of it uh i don't I don't watch it as much on TV now as I used to simply because there's too much. I've realized, and it took me a while to realize this, there were so many pieces that have been cut out. Uh, And I think it's, it's not necessarily about content. There's a few for content, but there's a couple that are cut out. And I think it's stuff they cut out just to shorten up sequences to fit in a two hour time frame. And yeah, but there are pieces of this film that I love dearly that are have been removed from the TV edited version. And so, and I forget about it until I see it on TV again. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where, where is that scene? I know that scene exists. Yeah. And it's, it's because they've removed it for time or whatever. Uh, yeah. This, this, this film, this, this version, I, and I just started recently collecting um, versions of a Christmas Carol filmed versions of a Christmas Carol. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole a few weeks ago. And, and started tracking down versions of a Christmas Carol and the Scrooge story that have been done. And there are, there are. My favorite one is the, the George C. Scott one from the eighties. That is the my, 84 TV one, right? Yeah. And also the, uh, the Patrick Stewart one is another made for TV uh, as well as there was a miniseries <laughs> done a year or two ago with, um, with Guy Pierce. That was, uh, Oh wow. Yeah. That's, that's a three part. Uh, I think it's on Hulu actually. Uh, you can find that one. Oh, but um, going all the way back to the 1938 and actually further back than that, I found some really great uh, silent film era versions. I found a version from 1916 and I found a version from 1923 uh, that are only like, I mean, the one's only like 24 minutes long, you know, it's like, and then, you know, a 40 minute long one for a little yes. later. 
there's no fat on it whatsoever. Well, exactly. <laughs> right to the Ex- point. <laughs> exactly. There's no, there's not a lot of, of character expansion or anything else. They just give you everything you need and they jump right into the story. Yeah. Um, one night this dude woke up and they were like these three ghosts and they, exactly. they told him to straighten and, his act out. <laughs> and again, in, in relating it a bit back to it's a wonderful life, it has a bit of, you know, and I'm watching it's a wonderful life. I started to get actually a bit, a bit of a feel of, that Dickensian sort of twist at the, you know, with him going back with the ghost and, you know, this is it with an angel, but to see how his life would have been differently. But, you know, there are similarities between the two, the, the two storytelling concepts, you know, the idea that, that Dickens puts out there about, you know, you're going to be visited by these three ghosts. They're going to show you, you know, they're going to show you all these things from your past. They're going to show you where you are and things from your life now. And then we're going to show you where you're headed. And that is, you know, you know, that's how, you know, which which leads to the ultimate transformation of him uh, into a better person. Um, super simple. It's a I mean, the, the, the story couldn't get more, you know, less complicated, I don't think. Uh, you know, it's a it's a straightforward, it's an A to Z story. There's you know, other than other than the the small amounts of of time travel we're doing to to show you bits of things that happened in the past and whatnot. There's not a there's not a lot there's not a lot of confusion confusion as far as following this story. Uh, it's a super simple story, and it's done for the most part by everyone the same way. I really like that they stepped outside the box with this and really made this uh, that sort of 80s, 90s feel, um, making him a, a super cynical television executive and adding in, you know, adding in all this other stuff. This movie was written by, uh, it was co-written by two guys. It was written by Michael O'Donoghue, who was the head writer at SNL from 1975 to 1981. Um and co-written by a guy named Mitch Glazer, who, who had only written a, a few other things as well, uh, and who appears in the film uh, briefly. Uh, this this who movie, he in the film? huh? Which one? Who was he in the film? Uh, when they show the the scene uh, at his brother's house and his friends are over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's one the the couch with the four people, the two couples sitting on it. He's the guy with the longer hair. He's the guy with the long hair all the way to the left. Okay. All right. So uh, he doesn't have a. He doesn't do anything. No, no, no. Like he's, just, he, he's just. No, no. He's just there. He's just okay. show, Just shows up as a cameo. All right. And um, I, I love this movie. I, I, I think that there's no part of this movie that ever falls flat for me. And I, like I said, I've seen this movie so many times and over the years. And I, and I was, I was, I was reading reviews about this online. Just people reviewing this movie, and. Maybe it's because of my my own sense of what I find amusing, you know, because there's a lot of people I, I, you know, reviews that I read who thought it was a really a really dark and mean version. And I go and listen, I'm like, there's a lot of there's a lot. If you've read any Dickens, there's a lot of Dickens stuff that is dark and carries carries a lot of meanness to it. There's just that's just the time that he lived in. You know, that's just the way the world was. So for them to do a modern adaptation and maintain that sort of tone throughout doesn't feel out of place for me. Um, for them to be able to so smartly adapt it uh, to a modern setting and, you know, so completely outside of what you consider to be the normal Scrooge Christmas Carol universe. Uh, 
Um, you know, I mean, honestly, hands down, the majority of versions that we've seen of Christmas Carol and Scrooge are set in the late 1800s. For them to do this style of update uh, is really and, and be, in my opinion, so successful with it. Um, just showed you the ability of, of Michael O'Donohue and, and Mitch Glazer in, in writing this. Now, when I say writing this, because uh, most of Bill Murray's uh, dialogue was ad-libbed for this film. I mean, they really just let him go and do it kind of, they gave him the scenes, but they kind of just let him go and just let him be Bill Murray and do, do what he does, want. do what he does best. Um, and I think that, I think that probably, there, if you look online a little deeply, you'll find that there are some there are some reports where Bill Murray and, and Richard Donner just didn't quite mesh very well in the making of this film. And if I had to guess, I would say it's because probably Richard Donner was not used to working in that fashion. I think he was a much more structured director, um, used to having control over everything you see and everything that comes along. And for him to have a guy whose strength lie lay in creating stuff off the cuff and creating stuff at the drop of a hat, I think was probably difficult for him, at least initially, uh, to work around, you know, you know, to, to, to know that if you go in and you get a good take, you know, you almost will have to wonder, well, gee, should I do another one? Cause maybe I'll get something better. Yeah. You know? And then at that point, no, the, and, and, and then you're like, well, how many do I do? And when do I stop? Do I do five? Do I do 10? Do I do a hundred? You know, at which point am I, at which point am I going to get to a point where there's just nothing funny or possibly could come out of this guy's mouth. Um, so I could see where a guy who is, who's who's built a career on on being successful as a structured director could have some difficulties dealing with with someone who works like that and again i'm sure that you know he probably said oh you got your lines all set and it, you know bill was probably like no i'll just you know whatever i come up with it, that when i'm there i'll do yeah strange you ever know that you gotta take like you gotta yeah like you're yeah when you've you've got it nailed but uh I, I, I love I love this story. I love this version. I, I can't I can't ever say when it, this is this is the automatic answer. I, I don't even have to think about it. This is my my all time favorite Christmas movie. Uh, this this particular version of, uh, you know, I grew up I grew up with the, you know, the first version of Christmas Carol I ever saw was the was the 19 uh, 51 version with Al Alistair Sim as Ebenezer Scrooge. And, uh, that was, that was my introduction to the world of, of the, of a Christmas Carol. And I've, you know, I've now seen probably, you know, 20 different versions of it. And, uh, this still, this still hands down to me, you know, I appreciate the original story. I appreciate all these versions that have come before and the work that's been done on them to make them, as close as possible to recreating that time period in that world. But I, I love this, this modern retelling. And it's, I mean, all the ghosts who come in, David Johansson, David Johansson. I mean, how can you watch any portion of the David Johansson ghost of Christmas past part of this movie and not just absolutely fall off the couch, his delivery on every single line of his is so brilliant. And then he gets to the point where he's talking about Attila the Hun and he goes home with him and he's just like, Attila the Hun, when Attila the Hun saw his mother, you know, and that just, it just, just buries it for me every time. And to think that the ghost of Christmas past role could have gone to Sam Kinison. Yeah. I don't know how, yeah. 
how that would have you know that would have changed this film immensely i feel that having having david johansson with that that super thick new york accent cabbie just just nails it and places it so correctly was, in in time and space what was his alter ego um oh buster buster poindexter yeah. okay sorry i couldn't yeah. And that's who I didn't. I never knew that, that wasn't his real name when I was a kid. Oh, that's funny. You know? so, <laughs> well, I I remember David Johansson when he was a part of uh, uh, the New York Dolls back in mm. the back in the the, the late seventies, early eighties, when part of the coming out of the punk scene in New York. So you know, that's I remember David Johansson before he became uh, Buster Poindexter. Yeah, there's he's, uh, he's perfect perfect cast in this. Like yeah, yeah, all yeah. of them. Carol Kane. Carol Kane coming in for her thing when oh. she it is so funny because she felt so bad about how much she had to beat the shit out of, of out of Bill Murray in that movie. <laughs> the, you know, we're then, fighting again. We shouldn't be fighting. <laughs> <laughs> we, we speak it out. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, close your eyes. And she's like, I'm not gonna she's like, close your eyes. <laughs> It's so funny because there's a there's parts of her performance that so remind me of her role in Taxi as as Latka's wife, and uh, yeah, and I just they're you know just the, the whole delivery and setup is just just she just every every person in this movie who has a speaking role, uh, just I mean John Forsyth as his old boss, uh, the, the the practical effects in this movie, the makeup that the makeup that they did on him as the as the sort of desiccated corpse, yeah. just just you can look at it and it's right there in your face and it never once seems it doesn't ever take you out of it you know uh you know the ghost of christmas future or the of yet to come and you know when he opens up the thing and there's all the, the tortured souls living inside the rib cage you know yeah, and, they're all, well, and you're all pretty heavy like, actually and you're like uh he's like our people do that <laughs> it's nice work <laughs> <laughs> and 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 listen to this day I cannot believe that they figured out a way to build a, to, to, a, to such an important character. It's the Bob Cratchit character in the story for Bobcat Goldthwaite to be Bobcat Goldthwaite in all intents and purposes and most of his delivery and still not be the most annoying part of this movie, you know? For, yeah, you know, that Bobcat character wears thin pretty quickly, especially when you've been around it for a long time. Well, he uh, he he was he's way laid back in this one until until he appropriately goes nuts yes. after, you know, so I mean, and and what's funny about Bobcat is that he can do straight. He can. Oh, absolutely. Straight role. Um, so I guess that's what helps. You know the, that he's not listen, stuck in that shit, and and he's a solid director. He did a great uh, a great Bigfoot horror film called Willow Creek. That is hands down one of the best Bigfoot movies you'll ever see, or Bigfoot um, horror I've movies. Never seen it. I'll yeah, check it really, out. Really, really good. I don't know. I've seen a lot of Bigfoot horror movies, <laughs> dude. <laughs> there, there is a ton of them out there. <laughs> oh, there is. Uh, there are Bigfoot's a big. Uh, uh, no pun intended, a big part of the horror world. Anyway, uh, Latham, what do you think of Scrooged? I thought uh, I, I I hadn't seen it in a while, so it was fun to watch because I remembered the whole basic story, but I'd forgotten who played certain parts, uh, how it was 
structured. And I, the thing I'd forgotten about it is how subversive it is. It's just a really subversive Christmas film. And when I was watching it with Amaya, you know, she asked me at one point, she's like, this is, you know, this is the weirdest Christmas movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I think that's what gives it its charm. <laughs> uh, and you mentioned about the practical effects. The pre- every practical effect in this movie is brilliant. It's, you know, there's very, there's no digital stuff here. Maybe when he goes, when he's hang, when he's being dangled outside the window, if at all, that's the only scene I can remember that would be. When he gets pushed through uh, the glass. Yeah, when he gets pushed through yeah. the glass, and but I don't even even, even the part. hanging outside is done practical because when they pull yeah, back yeah, after his right. arm breaks off, you can see the arm through the hole in the glass. Yeah, that's true. So, and they didn't have really digital effects at this point anyway, or they did, but it, it had CGI, but it was just supportive. Yeah, yeah, but but that that keeps this movie rooted more in reality, I think, uh, by Don, by Donner like choosing to do the effects the way he did them and you know from everything from the ghosts of christmas future to the transitions um all these sets that appear to be as big as they actually are and i just i i think the movie starts off slow and then it builds and then as soon as it starts building upon itself once you get his character, so when you start, you know, really start loathing him, it, it, it then the movie never slows down. And every person they bring in, Carol Kane, David Johansson, every, you know, all, all the cameos in this movie too, oh. are just, I mean, they're just so pop culture-ish on every level. Mary Lou Retton and Buddy Hackett's, John Houseman, all that was right in the wheelhouse of people growing up in that time when the movie came out in 1988. So it's, uh, the it's fake trailers a, at the beginning for like the day the reindeer died and, yeah, and the, the Robert Goulet's Cajun Christmas and the one that they, the box. and the one oh, they always cut out. And this is the one I remembered. And they always cut out of the, of the TV version is the fake, uh, where's your dad chasing beaver. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's the one they cut out. Yeah, they yeah, and I can see why, and also like <laughs> the scene concerning the girl's nipples. You know that scene's pretty like, you know, you're 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 you you're can hardly coming, even see them breaching the PG thirteen wall there. Yep. I mean, and that's it, an ad, that's an ad libbed line from that guy from Jack McGee. Oh, is it really? Yep. Wow. But all that setup at the beginning, you know, making him so slimy is you know it's great and then you just i guess you you wouldn't think you can reverse your opinion of this guy by the end of the film but it's murray's performance that that sells it uh and when he basically changes his tone but it's still being subversive at at that point you know the scene with with bobcat goldthwaite and the shotgun and when when it's really changing i mean it's a, he makes it like a smooth transition where you know he's still the guy he is. He's just changing everything he's thought about at that point on his view of you know how to treat people and stuff. And um, I, I I don't know. It's it's one of those movies that was well you know I'm contrasting with Christmas Vacation, it's just really well thought out structure wise and how things at the beginning of the movie come back at the end. And, you know, it's, 
I, I, I think everyone should watch it merely because if you've seen a Christmas, you know, you know, Christmas Carol in any capacity, but never seen this one, this is the one that's the most different of all of them. Yeah. And, and that's why it should be, uh, it should be viewed. And also, you know, Karen Allen's just, I, I totally forgotten she was in it when she came <laughs> on screen. I'm like, okay, any scene she's in, I'm going to like, she's just radiant. <laughs> one of those few actresses that bar- barely needs to try. So uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Hassan. Scrape them off, Claire. Scrape them off. <laughs> um, on the on the Internet Movie Database for Scrooged, it has an adjoining list of Christmas movies, and the first movie on the list is Christmas Vacation. So yeah. I'm vindicated. Anyway, uh, <laughs> also Brian Doyle Murray playing the same character in both movies, essentially, because he plays his uh, he plays. He plays uh, uh, Bill Murray's uh, dad. Yeah. And he also is Clark Griswold's boss. And he's, still, he's like basically the same character, no. the same the same non-Christmas, uh, you know, hard ass. <laughs> yeah, Scrooge, I don't know. I don't know. What, what, what's to be said about this movie? I quoted this movie all through high school and, and, and yeah. college. Yeah. Right. It's... Yeah. It's a scary movie, you know, in some places. Yeah. It's really right. funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, you know, when he finds a, what's his name in the sewer? Herman. Yeah. Michael Pollard. Alfred Woodard's uh, yeah. son, you know, like. I mean, the just... cast of this movie is, I mean, there's, there's even the, even the smallest roles in this film are played by just people who have shown throughout their careers in other things. Yeah. That they've got a flair for some. I mean, it's it is an all star cast. It is stunt casted, but I mean that's not a negative. Um, the, you know the, the the most moving scene in the film for me is when he's in the he's with the Ghost of Christmas Future and they're putting his body in the the crematorium mm-hmm. and uh, he's the, cleverly done. The Bill Murray's got this really weird take where he goes to grab the coffin and he calls for his brother to help him. Yeah, but it's really subtle. It's like it's not even it's not frantic. And he's like, could you help me here? You know, like it's um, and it gets it gets more and more intense. But it's really um, it's really moving. When he calls to James, like that, that first call to him, it's like a, it's like a idiosyncratic. It's like, could you James, could you help me? You know, like you see, I'm trying to don't let him burn me, of, James. Don't yeah. let him burn me. I mean, that that part's on the nose. That that and that works, but the like watch it again when he grabs the coffin the first time and he just mm-hmm. kind of James like it's really just kind of this, you know James why are you standing there you know help me yeah. out so and then they you know that the next scene where his feet are on fire I don't even know how they did I'm sure yeah that was that's did. a weird shot it's a very it's like they went to a lot of lengths to show that just one shot but it's yeah pretty effective how they if that yeah if, if that doesn't snap you out of whatever fog you're in you know as if if you were experiencing that for real <laughs> if that doesn't snap you out of whatever your yeah. funk is then you're already for, dead inside yeah. <laughs> it's like holy shit my feet were on fire yeah. <laughs> all right i'm not gonna be an asshole anymore 
Um, not only are my feet on fire, but there's nowhere for me to go. Yeah, I'm just going to sit in this box. box and roast. That's uh, um, that's rough. Look, it's a it's a it's a simple movie. It's really simplistic. It's it's the Christmas Carol, which is a simple. It's a it's an iconic story. It's probably it's genius because it's the first of its kind. But it is. Um, it is a basically very simple arc of you're an asshole. Here's why you shouldn't be an asshole. Then you're not an asshole anymore. You know, it's very, it's very holidays. You know, works. It still works really well. The formula is is infallible. Um, and then Bill Murray put all the Bill Murray isms that you want on top of it. You know, um, and he's perfect for this because Bill Murray in his in and of in his essence doesn't take anything seriously. So whenever he, whenever he's earnest in this movie, it really resonates. You know, there's the sequence where with uh, Alfie Woodard's son, where he gets in the elevator, he's like, I'm all over this. You know, I've got this handled, you know, I'm all over it. And, uh, you know, then, then it turns out that it leads all the way to his death. And then he's, he's almost catatonic at that, at that point where he, you know, it's, it's so, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a great depiction. I think everybody um, everybody in the film, all the, the 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 celebrities that you pointed out that are in the film, help it to be to help it to characterize itself other than just a simple remake of a Christmas Carol. You know, just an updated version of the Christmas Carol. Bill Murray, especially, I can see why you know, Richard Donner might have had a hard time because he's a very traditional director. Like if you watch Superman, it's a very Oh, it's yeah. it's its strength is in its formulaic portrayal of you know that he just knows how to do that you know you watch Goonies it's that three that solid three act structure that he he adheres to and I can see if there's a you know there's a celebrity in your movie that's kind of bucking the trends and you don't you can't really rein him in because he's the star of the film. But you don't, you're, you know, you don't really know if he, what the choices that he's making are good choices for the film in and of itself. I could see having trouble with it, but, you know, thank God both of them, you know, found their balance because it's a, it's a, it's a genius film. It really is a fantastic, it's in, completely in a, quotable. In an interview uh, following making the film, Richard Donner described the experience of working with Murray as he said, it's like standing on 42nd Street in Broadway. The lights are all out. And you're the traffic cop. <laughs> Brilliant. That's got to be how Levison felt with uh, with Robin Williams. You know, it's got to be. Yeah, got to be that kind of. He was, but that, think, he's Robin Williams is more. Uh, yeah, much more accessible. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, like Murray, Murray and Chevy Chase are basically both. Well, Murray's probably not as bad. Chevy Chase has a reputation that precedes him, right? That he's just yes, a he does. Yes. Bill Murray's more he'll get it done for you. It just might be on his time. <laughs> yeah. On his terms, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, yeah, time and terms, yeah, probably. But it's usually gonna work. You know, right. that's yeah. the other side of it. I mean, if you look at if you look at Ghostbusters, I mean Bill Murray is Bill Murray in everything he does, but it just works, you know. It's like it's like it's the Jack Nicholson thing. Um, that's why I'm talking about um, in the, this, the, the various moments in this film where he's actually earnest, where he's dramatic. They resonate even louder because his shtick is that he's not taking anything seriously. You know, right. he's got a, He's got a darker edge to everything in this movie because he's it's a callous. He puts a callousness 
on that shtick of I don't care how you know I don't care about nailing <laughs> antlers to a to a mouse's <laughs> head, you know. Um, excuse me, stapling. <laughs> yeah, stapling antlers to <laughs> a head. That line for years. I thought that was the funniest thing. Oh, and not not only that, but that that amazing. I mean, there's just talk about the the throwaway references in this movie, which which no one nowadays will understand. You know, sure. like like Deirdre literally turned to me and asked me because she because she didn't get it, which was you know when he says. You know, Marley Perkins, the road. And she's like, <laughs> I, she's like, I don't get that. I'm like, and I, I literally paused the movie and told her, I said, when, when I go, when I was growing up on Sunday nights after the wonderful world of Disney, there was a show called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it was hosted by a guy named Marlon Perkins. I mean, that was when we were growing up. Marlon Perkins was the wild animal guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. so for him to make a, 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 a just a throwaway joke like that. You know, to me, that has always stuck with me. And I've 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 quoted that a million times to people. And I'm sure and people that just don't understand, got it. It, you know, yeah, like Marley Perkins, the road. <laughs> yeah, correct. It's um, it's a great film. It's and it was a joy to watch again. It's just one of those. It's also comforting. Just like a, it's a wonderful life. You know, you watch these films, you watch like Christmas Carol or um or Scrooge, or It's a Wonderful Life, and you just kind of know it's going to work out. That's another, that's another big feature in movies like this, you know, as well as they're done. You know, you can watch him sink to these depths of depravity because you know he's going to pull himself out of it by the end, you know? Yeah. So it's not, it's not a study of, you know, of complete human abandonment, you know? Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's an uplifting story, no matter how dark it gets. So that's, a, you know... That's kind of wonderful. Like just like in a wonderful life where the angel's like, Yeah, I jumped in to save uh George. And you know, the way he's the way he says it, it's like that's not how that happened. But you know, when he <laughs> when he finally when he reveals it, no, I had to jump in to stop you from jumping in, you know. Um right. so that when you jumped in, you would jump in to save me. It's uh it's it's stuff like that where it's you know, there's there's this kind of high power, it, it's aware of your of your worth. And it's just going to help you get back to it, you know, just just to recognize it and get back to it. That's that's, you know, that's very powerful stuff that we don't have enough of. Yeah. Um, and so this was twice watching it. And then in the middle is Christmas vacation where there's, you know, there's just an asshole <laughs> 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 and bad humor. <laughs> and I'm proud go. of my pick. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, it goes without saying. No, I, I it's like it's like Jaws. Scrooge is just like Jaws. It's another seminal, like you know, com- comedic point in my uh, my life. You know, coming up. So I don't. I I couldn't have said anything bad about this movie if I tried. Personally. Yeah, I, the, the, this was Bill Murray's first starring role in a film after Ghostbusters. Uh, he had done a few other oddball bits in between, but this is the first, uh, the first new starring vehicle he had done. And even Ghostbusters, you'd argue obviously is an ensemble cast. Right. Um, He had been living in Paris and was contemplating leaving acting and uh, just, you know, going to go live his life. But um, they, you know, they managed to pull him back in. I'm guessing uh, in a a big part, that was Michael Donahue who who got that and got him the script and was and got him on board because he would have been the head writer during uh murray's tenure at snl and i'm sure that that's why how he got him roped into that so all of the 
all of Bill Murray's brothers who act are in this film. Uh, there are four Murray brothers in this film. Um, Brian Doyle, as we've said, plays his dad. His brother James is played by John Murray. And then the other guest at the party that we hadn't mentioned is uh, is his brother, Joel. And uh, and they had he has a fifth brother who uh, actually recently passed away. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that Bill Murray turned down roles, the lead roles in Rain Man, Big and Cocktail to do this movie. Hmm. Well, think think about those movies for a second. No, all successes. <laughs> Cocktails not a great film. Yeah, Rain Man would have would have that would have been. Yeah, I, I, I he could he could have succeeded at that, but that's a different movie too. I mean, yeah. I guess he was going to be the Dustin Hoffman role, apparently, right? I would guess. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, yeah. It's he probably he might have overpowered that though. Rain yeah, Man almost too much. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about the cameos for this film, it's uh, it's it's hard really to to really go. I mean, go through this like literally in every scene of this film, there are actors in the scenes that you 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 want to call them cameos just because they never show up again. But you know, the people in this film, the list of people who you recognize and who are important to you know not only pop culture but like just the world. I mean, the the the. The, the the street musicians they walk by the group of street musicians they you know is Paul Schaefer, uh, Larry Carlton, Miles Davis, yeah. and David Sanborn. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, you know, and he's like, "Come on, guys, really get a job." You know, he's all these guys. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, you're like, wait a second, is that you know? Because yeah. it goes quick if you don't know it's coming. You're like, wait a minute, is that? <laughs> but yeah, Damn, they're every. Yeah, they're everywhere in this movie. They're everywhere. Every, 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 even this, like I said, the small roles in this movie are people who you, who you know and have seen. And it's like watching this movie is like a treasure trove. It's like a, or a treasure hunt of, uh, of, of, of who's that, you know, of like, oh, I've seen that guy before. What did he do? You know, it's like everybody in this is someone you've seen before somewhere. It's like, it's just one of those perfect storms of casting. I swear. I swear, I swear, definitely, I swear. <laughs> which was actually, which is actually a throwback, and I tried to find it and I couldn't. Uh, I'm gonna have to go back and look at my SNL DVD sets, but apparently there was a skit on SNL that Bill Murray played Richard Burton in a skit reenacting parts of his, you know, his acting career, you know, and that's what this scene was a little bit of a, a, a an homage nod to. to yeah. yeah, a nod to that. <laughs> so I have to. I, I tried to go back and find that. And I couldn't track it down. Um, they told me the episode. They tell. I found out the episode it's on. Uh, who is the host and who is the musical act? So it should be easy yeah, enough to find. find but, uh, but yeah. So, yeah. There's. Uh, I, I don't know what else there is to say. I. 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 I, I love this movie. I just there's the, the thing and the, the it's the little things throughout this film initially that grabbed me the fact that in his office the sign over the window that says cross a thing you nail people to oh, it's just the, the set deck even the even the littlest bits of set decoration are so great you know and for him to have that in his office and it's just, you're just like and it's and it's never it's never like pointed out to you it's always it's just in the background real quick of a, of a quick scene with him and his brother in his office you know and it, it's like it's so easy to miss 
but to me it's one of the it's one of the anchors of that of the of the whole thing so so that's uh that's scrooged in an in in a very large nutshell the show today folks i'm really glad you came and i hope you have a happy holiday with your family we sure are going to I missed, uh, right I now i'm going to make my own eggnog from scratch because the show is over we need to go at least one more place oh the north pole no we need to go down the tubes and again the internet is not something that you just dump something on it's not a big truck it's, it's a series of tubes oh man and now we go on to the smallest selection which is the scrooged posters which you know i find upsetting uh so this is the the, the scrooged main release poster uh, and again, this is another one of those. There's really only two posters, uh, and I have both of them here. This is the main one uh, for all the domestic and DVDs and everything else. They really stuck with this image heavily. What I find most interesting revisiting this poster is the fact that there is nothing other than the title. You wouldn't know that this what movie has anything to do with Christmas with Chris- or a Christmas Carol or or anything. It's really strange. You know, Should have put a Christmas yeah. hat on uh, on Murray. Well, and the, and the thing and the thing is, the spirits will move you in odd and hysterical ways. It's like you know, it, it's like that. It's like that tagline is just. And I understand that obviously the last thing he did, you know, the last big thing he did before this was Ghostbusters. So they're trying to tie him back into the world of ghosts. Um, but it's just it's just so strange that there's nothing about this in any way says Christmas in any yeah. fashion. Right. You know, even if they had put like the red, you know, the red and green lights at the top of the uh, Empire State Building that's on the that's in the center of the image here, you know, would have been something. Right. But they, you know, even that's not even represented. It's a very odd poster, to say the least. Right. Yeah. I think if they gave the skeleton hand the uh, a red sleeve. That would have sold it as Christmas. Just that. Oh simple. yeah, yeah. If they put the the red sl- the 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 skeletal hand in a Santa suit or something. Yeah, you know what? I, I think this poster is great, except for the city. If they took the city out, and mm. the city is just kind of jarring to me. You know, just speaking uh, at the uh, of the aesthetics of the poster in and of itself, beyond right. what you were saying about yeah, the because the, the the city doesn't doesn't play a factor really in this no. film. You know, the fact it's, that it's in New York. The poster is strong enough with the with the um, yeah with the artistic uh, in, in infusion of his tuxedo with the nighttime sky or whatever it works enough without the city yeah, it would have been I fine agree. but anyway that's a it's, it is what it is yeah. <laughs> it's a great right. poster next is a UK yeah. quad and so this was the sort of the European image that was used for a lot of the a lot of the uh, the the international posters. Uh, Horrible. With Bill Murray is back among the ghosts. Only this time, there's no one to call. Oh, cute! Wow, just a heavy, just a a heavy-handed tie into Ghostbusters. Besides being his first comedy since Ghostbusters, which is yeah, they're really leaning into that. And this poster's terrible. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) What was the one movie he did between those two movies? Was it uh, Razor's Edge? It is Razor's Edge. Yep. And that was definitely not a comic. Nope. Uh, so next is uh, a poster from France, which again uses uh, utilizes that similar imagery. Um, this does nothing. It doesn't say anything. Yeah. You know, other than, yeah. I mean, those are the three ghosts. I get it. Yep. 
but all right. What is the title here? Oh, never mind. It's underneath it. That's weird. The what is Fantomes on Fet? I I don't know what Fet is. A party ghost. Fantomes is ghosts. Yeah, it's like ghosts and party. What's what's and they put like Scrooge underneath it? And fucking dumb. Whoever made this is an idiot. (laughs) Damn you, French. Couldn't get World War II right. Now you're blowing these posters. I mean, come on. Wow. Oh, man, dude. The views expressed by Latham Conger III are not necessarily <laughs> shared by the rest of the cast of cinema. That's correct. <laughs> Just take it. Oof. Uh, I thought, I thought the others were bad. Next poster. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, so, so, so Phantom Effet means. Uh, ghost fest, ghost of fate, oh, ghost or, yeah. or ghost fest, ghost festival, ghost very, fest. So okay, it's a very odd. I guess that's uh, yeah, very. That's so they, I guess a guy who who gets visited three times. You can't tell me the French are unfamiliar with the story of a Christmas Carol. I mean, I that's mean, just it's just it's bizarre. almost like the promotion team thought there's no way Murray's going to have another hit with the gap he's had. So we're going to just sell it as Ghostbusters 2 at this point. I mean, yeah. It's just fucking ridiculous. It's dumb. Yeah. So next is a Japanese poster. Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, this is like, yeah. This what is he be... doing? He's firing lightning out of his. Yeah. He's, he's one of the three storms. <laughs> <laughs> what in God's name. It's like a, this could be like the Prince of Darkness poster. Who, who are the three people in the clock? Who are being the, the the tortured That's souls from inside the ghost of uh, uh, Christmas yet to come? It's the rib gotcha. cage. That's not good. No, that's totally. This is a horror movie. You know. Yeah, this, yeah it's like yeah, yes. It's a little With strange. Three little fairies dancing around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three little Carol. Three little Carol Canes. Uh, so that's next that's is our our first artist poster by Dan Norris. Dan K. Norris. Dan K. Norris, correct. Um, okay. I wouldn't know this was Scrooge unless I saw the title, but it's not bad. I don't like Very it. minimalist. Now, you're not you're not a fan of Dan's work for the most part, Latham. Uh so okay. next is another piece by Dan. Oh, it's, but this is Dan Norris, not Dan K. Norris. I just didn't put the K in. Oh. Same guy. <laughs> okay. Well, let me see if I like this one. And ah, it's a little better than his other one. Ah, this one's decent. Still got the, the dormouse on his uh on his yeah. hat. Yeah. Programming for cats. <laughs> oh, that was the other that was the other line in, in Scrooge that I that I would quote that I would always quote that no one would, would grasp onto is I would be somewhere and I'd be like, call the police. <laughs> Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. Uh, next is a real simple piece by Derek Eads. Yeah, there's not enough here. I, yeah, again, I wouldn't know that was Scrooged unless yeah, I saw the okay. title. It could be one for any of the or Christmas Carol. I, mean, I get it's Christmas because of the mistletoe. But... Yeah. But... Uh, so next is a a fake poster for the night the reindeer uh, died. 
with Lee frickin' Majors. Lee Majors? You've been a real good boy this year, Lee. <laughs> oh, my. Nobody, 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 nobody loved the, million, uh, the $6 million man more than I did when I was growing up. So I saw um, Lee Majors for the I'm... first time in like a decade in Scrooge. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. You didn't uh you didn't watch Fall Guy? Um yeah, he, he wasn't uh he wasn't Steve Austin. No, he was Fall not. Guy wasn't wasn't I listen. Show. Yeah, it was. I have an absolute love affair with I the theme song comment. of that show. Mm-hmm. I love that theme song. I I, I I was into the show, but I would not as not like I was into the six million dollar man. Right. Okay, that's fair enough. Which, uh, next- which uh, was an uh, issue with me because uh, my mom asked me one time, what, why did they call him the $6 million man? And I couldn't answer. And she wouldn't let me watch the show for a week. <laughs> <laughs> she used to do stuff like that to me all the time. Uh, next is uh, another, another version of the Night the Reindeer Died poster. This is brilliant. By uh, Steve Wagaman. <laughs> oh, that was a good... <laughs> Just, uh, just fun stuff. The fact, the fact that the fake teasers up front have led to people doing their own, their own versions of of phantom posters of, uh, yeah. of them. It's just one. And they stole the the Yule Love It from Christmas Vacation. No, Yule Crack Up was Christmas Vacation. Oh, you get what I mean. The Yule, they Yule, the Yule love meme. It. Uh, and finally is a piece by Vlad Rodriguez. Um. This was a, uh, th- this was a poster done for uh, a company called Strange Kids Club, uh, and I actually own this. Believe it or not, this is the best. This one, this one captures everything. Yep, and it doesn't. I, I don't like this one. I don't like this because I don't like the choice of images on the TVs. They seem just non-organized, and ah, I I don't. It, it it this one doesn't work for me. Okay. Fair enough. So when I come over to your house, Stevie, make sure it's covered up so I don't okay. walk by it. I will. I will make sure that it is uh, that's, that that something else is hanging over the top of it. See, like, if I were uh, you, Steve, I would I have it on. The, I would have that on the front door. Put <laughs> 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 a spotlight on it. <laughs> I would have way, it backlit. This, this way, let them to Steve's house. <laughs> Exactly. And that does it for our posters. All right. Which, uh, since we're not really doing a martini this time, no. Although I suppose we could. I mean, with with you know, we kind of already covered Jeremiah Chechik, but uh, I mean, uh, listen, if you want to, if you want to start a dive into Richard Donner's catalog or Frank Capper's yeah, for that matter, without be, without doing without without doing a little homework first, that's uh, that's a heavy lift. I mean Donner. I mean Donner's directed a lot of stuff, but he's got he's got distinctive high points and really low low spots. What are you talking about? Timeline <laughs> or uh, what was he's, that other movie he did that was like wow? <laughs> that was like wow. <laughs> <laughs> he's done some. He he has made some missteps. Uh, he's still alive, right? Or he died? Oh, he's still alive. I think he's still alive. Yeah. Yep. Wow, he's ninety. Holy fuck! They paid yeah. him a million dollars. He was one of the first directors to get a million dollars to do Superman the movie. 
Superman the motion, but now the movie, yeah. That is his highest ranked. Wow, the Omen. I forgot about the Omen. Yeah. All the lethal weapons, radio flying. Goonies. Well, technically, yes. Superman's the first oh. superhero movie, the first comic book movie ever. Super, I'll tell you his worst movie. Super, super underrated Lady Hawk. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, conspiracy theory is awful. Just what? Awful. Oh, no, yeah. nah, disagree. Awesome. That's middling. Or, that's middling at ba- at worst. Uh, that that movie's trash. No, there. No. Yeah, there. I remember a scene where someone's running and there's some shot, and that was in the theater. Maybe been with you, Steve, and I was just like, "This is maybe that, joke. maybe that was going on in the theater and not the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what right. theater did you see it? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh... You guys see that in Nassau County? <laughs> that was <laughs> yeah, totally could have been. Uh, and he was a he was an EP on a lot of stuff. I mean, he executive produced Lost Boys, Free Willy. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Don Donner's a, a force. Well, him him and his wife Lauren Lauren Schuler Donner is the the producer side of the couple. But I mean, their their production company is they're they're both involved. But um, his wife is the is the producer while he's the director usually. So all three, uh, and, all four of the uh, the Lethal Weapon films, absolutely. Um, he also I, he, his lowest his lowest listed film directing on. Uh, on on Rotten Tomatoes, sitting at nine percent, is the toy. Oh, with uh, Richard Pryor. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's which I, that I didn't really age well. It, it just didn't. Age I haven't well. seen it in a long time, but I remember not hating that movie. It's not a bad movie. The premise is just abominable for uh, for contemporary the, audiences. The movie of his that I might pick is the worst film. My personal choice is his worst film might be Assassins. Yeah, it's not a good one. Yeah, and you know what? It's a guilty pleasure of mine. I actually like the film, but it's not a great film. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I love uh, Antonio Banderas in it. That was He was chewing a lot of scenery in it. I don't know yeah. why Why Stallone is. Stallone's doing nothing in that film, literally, from start yeah. to finish. Yep. And he's, he's like, got, cha-ching. He's got some... <laughs> He's got some stuff listed in here um, as director, which aren't rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Like Inside Moves, he directed. Um, but there's no... There's a, there's a, a an audience score, but no critical score, because it's, you know, I guess, I guess it was nobody's ever gone back to to revisit but um but i mean i mean radio flyers got a 33 percent and a 73 <laughs> percent audience score yeah that's like how how often do you see a, a you know i mean listen come on people that movie is yeah, far the, better far better than it's given credit for like yeah you like to dislike ratio um yeah because i mean the critics you know Critics don't really know what they're they're talking about a lot of times. So you can always go by the audience score. The audience score kind of is more of an honest depiction of how well the the film was received. Yeah, it's funny too to see, I mean most in 90% of the cases if not more you see that the audience score is higher than the critic score. Uh I find it interesting that on his list uh, a film that he executive produced 
that the audience score is at 50%, but the critic score is 68%. Uh, And that's Free Willy. Wow. Yeah, that movie blew up. (laughs) It was a... It it blew up and went down really fast, though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when they made made Free Willy 10, you know, people started (laughs) to catch on. Like, wait a minute. It's a goddamn whale. And the fact that Mike Madsen is in Free Willy. Michael Madsen. <laughs> yes, as a good guy. As a good off, guy, yeah. Get off my son. <laughs> like, oh, come on, man. That guy, is, that guy is a serial killer. I don't care how good they <laughs> depict him as. It's a Wonderful Life. has 90, 94% yeah. on a tomato meter and, and 95. 95 audience score. Jesus. Yeah. Don't get better than it that. Is, it is beloved. Uh, well, are we going to wrap we're gonna wrap it up, CD. I gotta go shopping, believe it or not. So, oh boy, oh. what do you what do you go shopping on Christmas Eve? Yeah, I do it every year, son, because I'm an idiot. I'm going to Barnes and Noble. Just declare war on Christmas. That's it's much easier on the wallet. <laughs> now oh, the yeah, downside yeah. is you don't get presents, <laughs> but you know it's still. Two things left for my daughter. I know where they are. So, all right, awesome. Good luck. All righty. Uh, <laughs> and on that note, and on that note, you guys have a very merry Christmas. And uh, you too, Latham. You too, pal. All right. Well, while you're out today, uh, buy me something nice. Um, <laughs> got it. Already Thank- did actually. Thanks to Fesley and Music. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can also follow us on all major social media accounts at cinementalpod. For Asan Godwin, Latham Conger, myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and toy delivery engineer, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs>